We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Everybody, Steve with Sons Fidelium coming at you once again with Douglas Bershaw of Loretto Publications, Loretto Press, if you're nasty. Uh, if you haven't been by the site yet, it'll be in the show notes underneath. Check it out. Every book there is worth reading. Uh, we're going to talk about somebody who's a powerhouse in the liturgical movement. And he is this gentleman right here, Tom Prosper Garanger. So, Doug, welcome back. How you doing? And please, why did you guys, who is he? And why did you guys start to run his stuff? Uh, well, Garanger is uh, the the modern uh, revival of the liturgy in France. Um, he was born in 1805. I mean, we publish his stuff because it's absolutely the best on, on the litur liturgical life of the church. Uh, he was born in 1805 in France, in northwestern France, the same area that St. Louis-Marie de Montfort came from. Mm -hmm. Uh, not far. I think actually he was born possibly in Le Mans. Um, but when he was born, the revolution was just 10, 15 years old. And now Napoleon was in charge of France. Uh -huh. And the, the life of the church was in many ways defunct. I mean, all the monasteries, the priests had been murdered, uh, the nuns, all of the sem seminaries and religious houses had been extinguished. Uh, there were many religious living underground, and of course, they were still working in France, but until the church was restored, um, the liturgical life of the church was pretty much non-existent. Um, I likened that period of time to pretty much what the church did to itself in the 1960s and 70s. Um, you know, the churches didn't close, but the new liturgy and the suppression of the old liturgy and the liturgical life of the church uh, in, a, in the divine office was, parts of it were suppressed and it was completely rewritten. Um, it seemed to me as a young man that the liturgical life of the church just disappeared in the 1970s. And of course, the liturgical element of Catholic life is the public praise of God on a continuing basis. You have the divine office, um, you have the sacramental, you know, administrations, but of course, particularly the holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, in 1805, when he was born, uh, there was a monastery not far from his birthplace um, where he grew up as a child. Um, and eventually, he, as a young man, decided to go into religious life. And the, the religious life of the church was restored at some point. Um, but 
interestingly enough, there was a break in the continuity. So they, one of the first things he had to do was go and, and find monks who knew how to be monks. I mean, if for 40 years there was no such thing as carpenters, well, how do you learn how to be a carpenter? <laughs> you, you have to go find some old carpenters that are still living and test their memories and, and ask them about it. So he, he, had, he, he was a towering figure in the church uh, in the 19th century. He died in 1875, so exactly 70 years old when he died. But the amount of work that he did and the things he accomplished in his life, far beyond just the monastery that he founded um, or refounded, is nothing short of astonishing. Uh, as a young man, he decided to join, you know, religious life, go into religious life, and he wanted to be a Benedictine, but the Benedictine life in France was dead, and even the monastery that he chose, which is today called Solem on the river Sarthe in the northwestern France, it was all falling apart in decay. It reminds you of St. Francis when our Lord told him, rebuild my church, you know, the first thing he did was found this little old chapel that was destroyed and rebuilt it. Well, you have to start on the ground somewhere. So he found this old monastery that was in his neighborhood and they moved into it and they started to rebuild it. But really what he was doing was restoring the monastic and the liturgical life of the church of a whole nation, France, the eldest daughter of the church. So he gathered around him a number of young, uh, enthusiastic men who were anxious for the restoration. Just the way today you see so many young Catholic people anxious for the restoration of the liturgy uh, and the full liturgical life of the church, joining monasteries like the Clear Creek monks out in Oklahoma who are a Salem congregation. So the first thing these men had to do was relearn from scratch how to do the liturgy, how to live the, the canonical hours, uh, to how to pray the, the Benedictine life, ora et labora, and also how to uh, restore the mass because it hadn't been available to Catholics in France for so long. So right there, that process of restoration makes Dom Garanger a model, at least for me and for many others in the church in the world today, since the devastation that was wreaked on the, the liturgical life of the church, the public prayer life of the church since Vatican II. We see it coming back now, and that's why Garanger is such a great model for us, and especially the works that he produced. He was very close friends um, with Cardinal P uh, mm -hmm. in France. Uh, he was also very close friends with Pio Nono, Pope mm -hmm. Pius IX. In fact, two of the definitions that were issued to the church during the life of Pio Nono, Pius IX, he attributed them to Dom Garanger's work. Mm -hmm. The first one was, of course, the definition of the um, 
immaculate conception. Mm -hmm. And the second was the definition of the infallibility of the, of the Pope and the perpetuity of the Petrine office at Vatican I. So Vatican I took place in 1869 to 1870, right at the last few years of Garanger's life. Uh, and he had written a book called The Papal Monarchy to defend the papacy against the attacks of the modernists and so on in his day. Uh, and that work was largely responsible for encouraging the fathers at the, at the council, uh, one of whom was my patron, St. Anthony Mary Claret, uh, who uh, actually attended the council and spoke at it in defense of the uh, infallibility of the papacy. Uh, but the other one was on the Immaculate Conception, and uh, Dom Garanger wrote extensively defending the, the reasons why the church should define the Immaculate Conception. Um, Cardinal P actually um, gave Dom Garanger's eulogy when he died. But several of the works that he was engaged in, one of the first ones, uh, the most important one, and the one that we publish uh, is called The Liturgical Year. And it discusses the entire, yeah, you have the picture up there. That's our, our copy of it. There are some other versions of it available. But um, one of the things we discovered, this is an English edition. Uh, it was written, of course, in French. Uh, but translated by some of Dom Garanger's disciples. In fact, Garanger never finished. This is a 15-volume work. He died before. He died before it was finished, but his close associates, um, you might say his school around him, uh, finished the work um, and then translated it into English. It was translated into English uh, at, the, uh, uh, at a Benedictine house in, Europe, in England and published in the 1880s and 1890s. In fact, St. Therese's family, uh, her father and mother, who of course are both canonized now as well as St. Therese, uh, used to read this work to her and her sisters when they were children. Mm -hmm. It was part of the daily family reading, along with a couple of other books that you might say form the spiritual life of that very holy family. I think a couple of her sisters might be canonized as well someday. St. Therese died in, in 1897, so she was a child when this book came out. And she lived in northwestern France, so it, she, their family was familiar with the Salem congregation and so on. Uh, as part of their the renewal of the liturgical life of this individual monastery, Salem, uh, they also reintroduced Gregorian chant, and the monks learned it, they, they, they perfected it for the modern age, and most people today who know about the proper Gregorian chant know of it because of the work of the Congregation of Salem, which still exists. Dom mm -hmm. um, is married there, or not, buried there in Salem in France. And married, married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it is in a way, <laughs> especially for a monk um, to meet the bridegroom. Um, but uh, they uh, he's buried there and his cause has been introduced uh, for canonization by the diocese where he uh, where he died. 
but this 15-volume set was originally published in England in its, in its translated form, and then also later on published in the United States in the 20th century. But when they published it here, they deleted some of it. Um, some of it was not particularly consonant with the Catholic American idea uh, of how the church should interact, especially with the state. Yeah. Um, Monarchs, I heard. They didn't yeah, like. yeah, there's a couple of... It wasn't a huge amount, but we went back to the original French edition and the original English edition and found all the missing articles. Mm -hmm. For example, one of them that's my favorite is um, most Catholics do, don't know uh, that Blessed Charlemagne has a feast day mm -hmm. in the calendar of the church, and he's considered a blessed in the church, not through the universal church, but throughout many dioceses in Germany and France, uh, he has a feast day and a, and a particular mass for him. Uh, but the idea that uh, a Catholic emperor, you know, and, and, and because this work discusses not simply the, you might say, hagiographical details of a person's life, but th the depth of historical research and the um, doctrinal expression of a person's life in the church um, goes off into many different theological uh, areas. Mm -hmm. So it's not simply a discussion of the mass for the day, um, but th this work is a history. It's a history of the church. It's a history of sanctity. It's a history mm -hmm. of the liturgy. And of course it covers the temporal cycle as well as the sanctural cycle. Mm -hmm. So in the 15 volumes, the first one you have pictured there is for Advent. It just covers the first four weeks of the liturgical year. Uh, and then there's three for the uh, two more for the Christmas season. <coughs> volume four is Septuagesima. And then Lent, there's a whole volume for Lent. There's a whole volume just for Passion Tide. Yes, that's a long one. <laughs> oh, yes. And it is, it's just packed. with. It's beautiful. It is fantastic. Yeah. I know on your site, Census Fidelium here, I see often there are readings from the liturgical year. For example, today is the, I was on the site yesterday and I saw that there was, they, somebody was doing the reading for Saints Cosmos and Damien. I'd <laughs> be, I'd be this guy that could barely read doing it. Is that you? <laughs> yeah. Today is the feast of St. Wenceslas, King of Bohemia. And uh, on the so, feast of Stephen. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Every Englishman knows that that song. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me, because people were begging him. If you read the biography that you guys published as well, here's the biography, ladies and gentlemen. If you're watching, fantastic read, great read, reads very well. Uh, but he mentions in there, uh, people were begging him, "When's the next copy? When's Christmas coming out? When is?" Lent coming out. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And yeah. this, you just imagine this guy just putting, if you read what he writes, just fully loaded. And these people were just, come on, why, what's wrong with you? Why isn't this coming out? Are you yeah. doing it? <laughs> A work like that cannot be rushed. And no. of course, he, he didn't rush it. He, he did it right. Uh, and his monks, you know, the, the Benedictine um, life is divided into three parts aura at labora prayer and work but the third part that isn't part of their motto is study 
So they're, they constantly study um, the faith, like for St. the way, you know, St. Peter said, you, you have to learn to give reasons for the hope that's in you. Uh, these men were not only restoring a whole method of living that had been lost for 30 to 40 years in one of the most Catholic nations in the world, France, but they were at the same time fighting uh, all of the modernist heresies that were arising up. Uh, Jansenism, of course, and Gallicanism were very strong in France at the time. So there were a lot of polemical writings that, that were uttered from, from Salem. Um, he also was defending other doctrines of the church, as I mentioned, the infallibility of the Pope. Uh, he was what you would call an ultramontane uh, man. Uh, he was friends with many of the Louis Viau and uh, Lacordaire and many of the people who were defending the church in France in his time. So he was, he was very much both a religious and a political figure of his day. Uh, like I say, the restoration of Gregorian chant in the, to, in the church is largely due to the work of Salem, um, as well as the what what Dom Garanger knew in his heart was that to live a fully Catholic life, you have to participate in the liturgy of the church every day. Uh -huh. Many people cannot attend mass every day because it's just not available to them or it's too difficult. They have too many other responsibilities in their life. But of course, the life of a monk or any religious is totally centered on the divine office and the mass of the day, the community mass. Uh, but even if you are not able to attend mass every day, even if your duties in life prevent you from saying the full divine office, you could still say part of it, or you could say a little office of the church, for example, the office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, or some of the other, uh, you know, official prayers. Most Catholic families all say the rosary together, although that's not officially a liturgical prayer. It's about as close as you can get and not be an official liturgical prayer of the church. Um, it's based on the Psalms, of course. Um, all the liturgical prayer of the church is essentially based on the Psalms of David. Uh, but in order to live the full Catholic life, the liturgy has to imbue every moment of your day in one way or another. It says in scripture, you have to pray always. Well, it doesn't mean we always ha have the divine. I you know every priest is required to say the divine office every day, but even laymen should do as, as much as they can. Even if it's a few minutes in the morning, a few minutes at night, you can, whatever it is. So, but in order to be willing to participate in that to the greatest extent, you have to know it. You have to know its value. You have to know its breadth and its depth. You have to have some understanding of it, even though so much of it is like mystical and sort of seeps into you. You don't have to know every word of the mass, every word of the divine office, but when you're hearing it, when you're praying it, when you're chanting it, it just seeps into your very being. You still hear it in your memory. Yeah. Yeah. You see things, you're still thinking of it, it's still in your mind. So like that whole pray always, you don't have to be muttering words, 
you're thinking of it. You're thinking holy things. You're thinking of Lord. Exactly, exactly. So the liturgical year, that 15-volume set, is designed to do that. It's the book for a lifetime. It's yes. like the Holy Scripture. You get this. Uh, it's so complete. And I've read it over and over. I mean, you don't just read it once. Of course, it takes a long time to read 15 volumes. There's thousands and thousands of pages there. Trust but me, I know. <laughs> every time you pick it up, there's something new, something exciting, something that, oh, I never knew that. Oh, that is so amazing. Uh, there hasn't these, been a day that I haven't said exactly that. Yeah. Especially yeah. Sundays. I mean, there's sometimes you're going, I'll screenshot it and send it to a priest friend of mine or another buddy of mine. I go, look at this. And they're just right back going, that's just gold. I mean, literally there's gold on every page. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is why Loretto publishes this work and brought it back to the American Catholic Americans for, for so long for exactly that reason. It's pure gold. This is why we publish the works we do. The Douay Reims Bible, the commentaries by Alapide, particularly in the liturgical uh, field, Dom Garanger. He's, he's the master. I mean, if at some point he's declared doctor of the church, like Aquinas was, the Summa is his masterpiece. <coughs> this is in, the, in the biography, it says, uh, hope to be, hope for he will be declared doctor of the liturgy. Doctor of the Liturgy. Yeah, right, right. So um, here's a couple tidbits for you, too. I don't know if, uh, how many people are, know about the Holy Face. Leo DuPont would make pilgrimages to Salem to sit at his feet, as he said, to sit at the feet of the great Garanger and listen to his theological uh, explanations to him because he was, you know, he was just a layman. And he was big in the reparation movement at that time as well. And Leo got him oil, and when he died, he was the extreme unction was used was from the oil at Leo's shrine, well at the shrine of the Holy Face at the time. The miraculous oil from his uh, uh, candles was used on Garanger. Yeah, <laughs> and Cardinal P's eulogy of him, he he mentioned that how his monks, what a great loss they suffered, how they were able to at table, you know. Listen to Garanger give expositions of the faith and and explanations. Uh, to have known a great man like that uh, is a tremendous blessing. Yes, and Cardinal P knew that very well. As did Pius the Ninth. Uh, he was, and and it's funny because when you read this book, you will see he knew the mystics of his day. Uh, he knew the other holy men and women that were contemporary with him. And he also had visions of what was to come. It's part of the reason why, how the church always anticipates the problems to come. Mm -hmm. I mean, Vatican I anticipated the problems of the 20th century. So does this book. And you see intimations of the, of the issues that Our Lady raised at Fatima. Um, with Leo Dupont and the the, the divine reparations, uh, Julie Marie Jaheni was contemporary and also living in this area. Jean Jugan, uh, so many people. Uh, and when Saint Louis Marie de Montfort predicted, you know, great things to come from this area, uh, it was I believe during his lifetime that they discovered uh, true devotion. Uh, 
because it had been lost for a long time. So, uh, and anyway. he brings up problems now. If everyone thinks that's watching, it's just to the point that this is the only time we've ever had problems in a church. Please, this oh. is one of those books that will also help you get that out of your mind. That as great as during that time, you had a great pope, Bias IX. You had yeah. there's people before him. The times were not as great in the world as you would think. It wasn't sunshine, lollipops. Everybody's walked through in processions and pictures everywhere. Now he even mentions talk about the lukewarmness of the people. And when you read it, you'll think of man. He's talking about his day, as he says in a couple times in a couple of Ryan's. What do people think about us now? Indeed, what do you read that in in 2022 going? What does God think about us today? If that was a problem then, and they were way better than us. Yes. But but it's also encouraging because you see that even though the the battle lines shift, they're always there. The pressures, the war on the faith is always the same. And God always gives the people of the moment the grace they need to deal with that particular moment that he's placed them in into the world uh -huh. uh yeah it's it's uh you know we think oh my gosh this world is so horrible and you know armageddon is any day and what's that but you know they they talked about this right from the earliest days of the church right so uh, everybody thought everybody was the antichrist everybody thought they was in there and the end of the world was their generation everyone thought that you're not alone yeah <laughs> It's it's the one the one thing that our Lord absolutely refused to answer to his apostles was yeah. it's the end of the world coming. Well, don't worry about it. Yours is coming pretty soon, even if it's within the next 50 <laughs> or 60 years. It's it's not too far down down the line. So you just deal with your life and you you live it. And but this is the type of book that can help you tremendously to see and understand Dom Garriger was very, very knowledgeable about the politics mm -hmm. and the the backdoor efforts to undermine the church because we have to be militant in defense of our church. We have to be vigilant always, not just in our own spiritual life. Of course, that's the number one job. But if you're want to be an ardent militant Catholic, you have to know what the enemies are in the world out there mm -hmm. as well. That's the, that's the art of war. If you know your enemy, you know yourself, you win. If you don't know your enemy, but you know yourself, you got a chance. If you don't know either, you got no chance. Right, right. You don't even know you're at war. You're just drifting off. I, yeah. I think it was, maybe it was St. Alphonsus. One of the, one of the priests, uh, famous saints was asked, you know, about a certain group of priests. And he said, oh, those priests, all they're just busy sewing up soft little pillows so people can sleep in their sins. <laughs> Yep. Oblivious. Um, I mean, Leo the Thirteenth, or was it Pius the Tenth? Sir Ronimus maybe said that the number one reason most people go to hell is because of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Well, that's this book will definitely change the ignorance. That's shocking to most people because what do you mean, a God? You know, people go to hell because they're ignorant. Yes, because they're ignorant of what they need to do to be saved because it's not automatic. Yeah. <coughs> you, don't, you don't have to be a scholar and a Latin genius to be able to do this, to be able to be in not that kind of intelligence, but because there are some people that couldn't read that are saints, but they knew oh. what they needed to do. Right, right, right. But now in the modern world, most of us can read 
And we should, because it's a gift God has given you, the ability to read the knowledge, to be able to read scripture, to read works like this, is a tremendous talent that God gives us in this no, modern age. We're and supposed it, to read blogs. We're not supposed to read good books like this. We're supposed to read people emoting all the time. Well, don't trash blogs too much. You've got a great website here, and I love it. But it uses <laughs> people. You know, there's there's a time and a space for things like your enterprise here, your 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 apostolate. But the goal of your apostolate, of course, is so that people's spiritual life will be improved. Yes. Uh, and uh, that's why Loretto publishes what we do. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, people were talking about how much Dom Garanger gave to his people. Well, um, with a work like this, I hear priests all the time and I have people tell me, I'll have a friend, you know, from Wisconsin or South Dakota or California call me up. <coughs> our, you know, our priest gave a great sermon Saturday or Sunday, and he said he was quoting from the liturgical year or a lot. I just got an order from a priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut for the the Alapide set. Nice. And I guarantee you that his people are going to have much better sermons now when he's reading a book like this. Mm -hmm. um, 25 years ago, yeah, almost 20 years ago now, I got a call from a, a young man in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. He was working in the chancery there, and he said, we just got a new bishop, and I really like him, and I'm going to give him a copy of this set for his for Christmas. Fantastic. So he did. The guy's name was Leo Burke. <laughs> oh, he says, you don't know who he is yet, but he says, you'll know who he is pretty soon enough. And sure enough, he turns out to be, you know, one of the better prelates in the church nowadays. Eh. But he's been reading this book for 20 years since he got one of the first ones right hot off the press. Yeah, you speak of sermons. You could literally, if you're a priest, just read the commentary on Sunday that he does on. Because I know in the, the New Rite, they're basically more trained to be more scripture oriented instead of series and different things. There it is right there. He goes through Paul's epistles and he goes through the Gospels and the depth he goes into will just blow you away. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's the good side. And of course, we have a whole sections on the website here on uh, Latin and Latin mass and uh, the missiles and so on. And of course, when you're talking about the mass nowadays, I mean, in Garen's day's time, when you talked about the mass, well, there was only one mass. Everybody knew what that's the it. mass was all about. But now you've got another, you know, liturgy. Uh, in the church that was invented in the 1960s. And it's, it's well, in a way, it's competition for the, the, the Roman rite, but in a way, it's not competition because how can you compare to this? And the biggest uh, destruction is the calendar being, because this goes with the year and the calendar, even St. Alphonse's daily meditations, the calendar got changed. So now the instead of the, Ninth Sunday after Pentecost, I don't know what it would be equivalent to, but it's not in the same reading. It's a different thing. So it's they call it ordinary time. Well, what's ordinary about it? <laughs> it's the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. We always have the same sermon. We always have the same, you know, it's readings and everything. It's low, you know, Quinquagesima Sunday. It's low Sunday. I mean, the whole 
and all of these things, these changes, even if the changes aren't terribly bad, which most of them I think are, but even if they weren't, the very notion that it changes something that has been the same for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and people's lives are imbued with it. I mean, how many uh, books do you read or historical accounts? Oh, it was on Michaelmas Day. Well, what the heck is Michaelmas Day? Well, everybody right. knows what Michaelmas Day is, but they, they, they don't now because they don't have it anymore. Right. Yeah. So, no. You lose continuity, you lose your sense of depth, your sense of identity, the sense that your religion goes right back to the apostles. In fact, right back to Adam and Eve when you, you, you get right down to it. Uh, that's why one of the books on the mass that I love the most is not even a, technically about the mass. It's called Burning Bush, Burning Hearts. Mm -hmm. It's about this mass in Exodus. Mm -hmm. Um, so because you'll read this and you'll go, what if you if you know the pre 55, we talked about Passion Week, uh, that was pre 55. Right. <laughs> Obviously, Garange was pre 55, so it made sense after you read Garange, that whole liturgy makes sense. If you're watching, going, This is beautiful, but I have no idea what's going on. You pick up his Good Friday, Holy Thursday, Easter Sunday, or, or Holy Saturday, the Easter Vigil. And you understand why the three cross, why the kneel in the kiss, the kiss, the crucifix. As he brings up, it's the communion for the laity. When you hear that, you're like, that's beautiful. Because Father is the only one that has communion. The rest of us don't. And you're going up there to reverence the cross. And it used to be the true cross. And now that's a, just a symbol of the true cross. It all The connection that you get from reading it is, again, it goes into mind-blowing gold in a sense. Yes, yeah. This yep. is one of those series that you just must buy for your house. <laughs> and I, I might as well announce it now, even though it isn't quite official yet. We've just had to reprint this hardcover set. Um, the, re the recent hardcover set was fairly expensive, over $500, because just because of the way the times are and so on. But I've yeah. got someone to help me finance it, and we've been able to get more printed and so for the Christmas season, probably beginning in October, we're going to be offering this for over $100 off. Oh, nice. So it'll, it'll be $3.99 for the set, for the hardcover. That's so, a steal. <laughs> yeah. If anybody if anybody's interested in getting it, hold off for a week or two and get the hardcover set for $3.99. Oh, we mentioned the word gold. Gold right now is what, $2,000 an ounce or something like that? What yeah. you pick a number like that? This is gold for your soul. If we're pouring treasures up in heaven, this is 15-volume set. These are, that's eight volumes of Tradivox behind me. So another, double that. And yeah. Again, gold for your soul. You this will make you a saint if you read read it every day. And it's not every day that they have a writing. I mean, when you get into Pentecost, the time after Pentecost, it's just the Sundays for the Mass, and you got obviously uh, saints. And there's some days there isn't one written down, so it's not a every day, literally every day. Sometimes there's a two for one special. You get like Advent and Lent. You get daily writings for both saints and the liturgy. You can't miss this. Yeah. You see on the front page of our website, we have a picture of St. Therese, and we're also called Loretto Publications. Uh -huh. um, this is because Dom Garanger and St. Therese had tremendous devotion to the Holy House. 
And St. Therese visited the Holy House uh, once when she went to Rome as a young girl. In fact, most people might know the story of how she pestered Pius IX to, to, uh, to let her, or not Pius, uh, Leo, Leo III, to let her become a nun before the, the you know, the age that was regulated. Um, so very much of a dedication to the Holy Family, the Holy House, St. Therese. She's, she's our particular patroness. Uh, and Dom Garanger. So we also offer in under our mass section polemical works on the new mass and the new liturgy and sacraments and so on, things that explain to people why the new mass is substandard, why it's why would you have that mass, that liturgy, when you could have this? Uh, and I'm so excited um, about the resurgence in the traditional mass. I remember uh, an abbot, a friend of mine, who's a Benedictine abbot, a number of years ago, now five, six years ago, I forget exactly. He had just come back from Rome where the Benedictines have their, every five or 10 years, all the abbots to get together to discuss in common the issues of the day facing their order and so on. Because the Benedictines, are not a unified group. They, they, they are in congregations. Actually, every individual house has its own rule and its own right. They're independent. Uh, it's not like the Jesuits or the Dominicans where they have one unified head. Um, you might say the Benedictines are decentralized religious life. And that's why you have different congregations, the English congregation, the Swiss congregation, and there are the Salem congregation, people who follow a particular uh, spiritual mode or method, or they have what they call a mother house. Uh, so this, this monk, this, this abbot had been to the gathering of Benedictine abbots in Rome, and they were discussing the two main topics of the, their, their week there together, were how Benedictines today have to deal with technology, modern technology. Because the whole point of a Benedictine life is that you don't let the world creep in too much to what you're doing. Uh, and technology has that element of creeping into your life and displacing other things that should be more important. And yet you can't deny the necessity of this. Many of these monks would often be called to the sickbed of a person. They, they would go out regularly to, you know, give the sacraments to people dying, or they would, they go out to serve other parishes or as chaplains at colleges or different things. They, they're needed sometimes elsewhere. And, and of course, if you don't have a website now, nobody knows who you are. So, how to deal with that technology end of their their life and how to keep it you know use it properly but sensibly without interfering with the life of prayer but the other i said well so what was the other topic abbot he said oh he said the problem of vocations he said problem of vocations what do you mean he says well lots of the benedictine houses around the world the average age of a monk or a sister is 65 or 70 years old, and we don't have young people coming in. But he said there are some houses that that are overflowing with vocations. 
I said, so what did, what conclusions did you come to? He said, well, it's pretty easy when we look at the statistics. The houses that are overflowing with vocations are the ones that have the chant and the traditional liturgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beauty draws. Yes, it does. Uh, it, it's converting in itself. It draws mm-hmm. you in. Holiness, sanctity to anyone, even people who are not interested to be saints themselves. Mm-hmm are still fascinated. Yep. You don't need apologetics. You don't need to do arguments. You can just let, as they say about truth, just let it out of the cage. Right, right. Yeah, so um, the liturgy is converting in itself, just seeing it. And um, I would say this book, the, this series, just on top of that with the, yeah, the liturgy converts. This book converts. Yes, if you're on the if you're on teeter tottering or anything like that, or just maybe lukewarmish, or you know, you know, I go to the mass, but it's not just <clears throat> not a big deal. I just do it because I like the the aesthetics. This will change you overnight, I believe. Yeah, just, it's the ability to deepen your faith and to make it uh, so vibrant and exciting. I mean, I'm always excited to go to mass. You know, I wasn't always at some points in your life, you say, oh, my gosh, oh, I got to go to mass again today. Well, no, that's out the window. <laughs> Once you start reading this and you start to understand it. Oh, uh, yeah. Even the introit and collect and all that, you just, not just the epistle, but why is there an intro? Why is this? He gets into the whys. And yeah, like I said, it's just this is the if there's a must have book, must have series. This is it. If you don't want to get I, I don't know. Do you guys sell it individually or just as a set? Uh, the hardcover is only as a set, but we have a softcover edition as well, and we sell them individually per, per volume. So uh, if you you know buy them one at a time, it costs a little more than getting the whole set all at once, but at least it's a way to jump in and test the water, so to speak. But uh, so many times I have people buy one or two books, and then they call back and they say, oh, I want the whole set. Can I still get the, you know, the yeah. set prices? Oh, Sure. Uh, just to get them out to people's hands. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's nope. such a life-changing thing. Yeah, if you accidentally buy the first copy to see how you are, you love it, and you want the set, give that one to someone else and get the set. Yeah. <laughs> Advent is coming up. The beginning of the liturgical year begins on the, uh, you know, the first Sunday of Advent, which is always the Sunday closest to the Feast of St. Andrew. And he explains all that. Why? Like, yeah. Why? That's yeah. the that's the beauty thing. Like when a kid asks why, this yeah. is you're getting the why. Why do we do this? Why do we get that? And that's just when you get that part, you're not just going through actions. You're under this is why I'm doing this, and it yeah. makes it makes a big difference. And every part of the church. Why do we say this prayer? Why is this prayer said now? What are the rubrics of this particular part of the mass? You know why when the the priest turns around to give the blessing just before communion, why does he not? Why doesn't he turn totally around and face the people? Uh-huh. Why he only only turns halfway? Why why is that? Why do the altar boys do this? Everything about it. And then with the feast days, why is this particular gospel used on this particular Sunday, like Good right. Shepherd Sunday? Yeah. Um, Catholics used to know the Sundays of the year by their names. Yep, the yep. Oh. year. Uh, oh, this is Holy Family Sunday. This is Good Shepherd Sunday. This is, you know, yeah, two Sundays ago was uh, Providence Sunday. No one I knew knew that. It was it was a beautiful write up. But yeah, and he uh, gives all the details, the historical yes. details, everything about it. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. No and, problem. Uh, everyone, go to the site, get this for yourselves, get it for a priest, seminary, whatever. 
get this with more hands. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thanks very much for having me on, and uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks again. All right. God bless.